I'm Mary Angela Abeo, creator of the Faces of Fortitude movement, which is a safe space for faces of suicide and mental illness to share their stories and help each other heal. And this is Face to Faces, a conversation series featuring people from all walks of life, exploring the real human emotions we're all dealing with as the world around us rapidly evolves. I'm glad you're here with us. Let's lean in. All right, my guest today is an educator, a death doula, a massage therapist, a healer. She's the director of A Sacred Passing, a nonprofit that provides planning, education, coaching, facilitation in order to fully support end-of-life choices and she is also my friend, and I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks for being here, Lashana. Well, thank you for creating space and, and asking me to join. I am honored. Yay. Well, first of all, and what I like to do with all my guests, because we're in this strange time in our world, I want to do an emotional check-in and see how you're doing today specifically. Um, I am here, and I'm healthy the people in my heart are healthy. Um, so that's kind of where my barometer stops at this point. Like if those things are all in, in check, I'm good. Good. Um, I think right now, especially when we're dealing with um, medical workers, end of life workers, essential workers, um, the self-care and the check-ins are m- more important than ever. Um, what are you doing right now for self-care? You know, I've seen, you know, we're connected on social media, so I've seen things like painting hour and a lot of cooking and even like very methodically washing dishes. And it's all, uh, I find your process fascinating and I'd love to know some of the things that you're doing for yourself. Um, sure. It's, um, I, I find it interesting and fascinating too, because it. Um, I sort of come from um, a spot where like self care does not resonate with me. Self compassion does, um, and so I find ways to like integrate compassion with myself throughout my daily rituals all all of the time, so that it's not something that I'm saying, oh, I have to remember to self care. I'm going to go do this thing. Um, I find that if I am compassionate with myself throughout the way, like throughout my walk, um, then I'm really caring for myself. Um, and it looks, it looks like something different at all times. It could be deciding to pause and pull a few weeds, or it could be doing and folding the laundry or making my bed or, you know, asking my kid for an extra long hug, um, Mm. It, it, it's different all of the time. So I, um, I really try to be compassionate with myself, even when I'm like, I find myself, especially not even even, especially when I find myself right now, like not being my best self, um, mm-hmm. like being a little tired or like feeling like I want to be reactive, um, like being compassionate with those emotions and honoring them and for, for being there for a reason, but then, you know, being able to, reflect, learn from it, move on. Yeah. Um, Not live in that space. Yeah, totally. 
I love that. I um I would love to let our listeners know a little bit about what you do and um, explain, because I think I probably did a choppy job of explaining a sacred passing and um, what you do in general is so much more than that. And also, um, you know, how what you do has changed yeah. now because of, of the world that we're in all of a sudden. Um, I get to be a body worker. I'm a massage therapist first. Um, and so I'm unemployed at the moment. Um, mm. So I get to dive full into my end of life work, um, which typically is an in-person thing. Um, it's a lot of, it's a lot of sitting down and talking and planning. Right. Um, a lot of physical care. Um, and right now that's all been twisted, even, even down to, um, working with folks who choose medical aid and dying. Um, we're not allowed to go and assist them on the day that they choose to take their medicine. Um, mm -hmm. we can, we can be on the phone with them. Um, but they, they have a one sheet and, and, and a caregiver that lives with them instead of a full, full, well-rounded support group. Um, this, this whole thing has sort of taken my beliefs and like wrung them like a mop and forced me to really find meaningful ways of connecting with folks through technology, which it like, this is part of my graceful growing because it just, it made me really pissed in the beginning. Like what the fuck? I had to use zoom to meet with people. Like I rejected it so hard um, and have been shown in spades that it can work. Right. I love that you you had that turnaround though. Yeah, I mean it took it took doing it. So how are you adjusting with your clients and your patients? Um my care is, has become a lot more about caring for the caregiver um and facilitating their ability to interact with the, with the dying. Um, making sure that they feel supported and comfortable in, in what's being asked of them. Um, in a couple of situations, um, these are folks who want absolutely nothing to do with the care of this person who is dying, but know that if the person were to go into a facility, it would not be okay. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they, were, they were prepared to go visit and, and, and engage in those ways that felt comfortable. And now it's like, oh shit, here I am. What do I do? So it's a lot of, um, a lot of phone support. Um, for those of us that don't know what a death doula is, I was speaking to a friend telling them that I was going to interview you and they were like, what is a death doula? Can you explain that just briefly for people yeah. that might need to back up? Yeah. Um, a death doula, first of all, is not a new thing. Women of color have been dueling birth and death for since we've been birthing and dying. What it is is it's um, it's being treated as a new profession. So I wanna I wanna like caveat that it's being yes, monetized, please. which um, is not. Yeah, it's I don't it it's it's. I'm just going to leave that at that because no, you can, we can expand because I think that's a really important point about birth doulas, death doulas. It even goes back to things like practices like yoga, things like that, that have been Americanized, whitewashed and yeah. monetized. And I think that that's, 
you know, you're taking this, this uh, cultural, generational experience that you learned through love and heart and family and connection, um, and you're trying to monetize it. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're having people do like need training and classes and certifications, which I think all of that is taking away from what it actually is. Yeah. I definitely believe that there is some training. I mean, I, I, I do teach classes. Right. Uh, I do not certify whatsoever. Um, the training I think is invaluable only because most people living today have been grown, not knowing how to take care of the dead or the dying, most people have been grown thinking, oh, that's the funeral director's job. We don't do that, that's dangerous, that's dirty. The body is the body is something we need to fear in death. Um, so I do participate in, in the training mechanism. Um, so I am, I am part of that. Um, my, my private care work, um, I am like the shittiest businesswoman in the world. Um, there's, I am sliding scale. I am, if you would like to pay me, sure, pay me. If not, I'm going to do exactly the same things for you that I would do for, for my family. Um, and, and most of what I do is really trying to create space for, for families to engage and participate and, and sort of support them to feel comfortable enough to do, to do the stuff. Um, if, if they need assistance, figuring it out, I'm totally there and, and support, um, doulas look different depending on what their skills are. Um, some people really only like to work in the, in the advanced care directive preparatory realm, right? That's what they're comfortable with. Other people really would like to facilitate home wakes and funerals and understand body care. So doulas are really different and, um, and require a real level of um, authenticity when explaining their skills and what they do. Um, so yeah, death doulas are as varied as, as we are humans. Hmm. I love that. I, I admit that I didn't know much about it um, until I met you. And we met that day at, uh, what was the restaurant we were at for Terra, the death of dinner? Terra Plata. Terra Plata. Yeah. yeah um, amazing restaurant. Um, and uh, we got to know each other through the death over dinner process. And, um, you know, that's something that because of the line of work that I'm in, um, I didn't know how, was, how I was going to fit into that uh, arena, um, your arena of end of life, because your coworkers and the people you work with and the healers are very, uh, what's the word? Like ev- you are preparing for something. But in the field of suicide, we're not. Yeah. We we are unprepared, and we are, um, and mental health in general. Like there's a lot there. So I was really unsure how I would fit, and then I realized how important it was because there's so much um, in preparation around the grieving and around the people that have dealt with that. So um, I was really uh, fascinated and inspired mm-hmm. by your work and what you do. So you constantly inspire me. Have you had any clients or anything with this virus that you are not able to be with them at end of life, like yeah. right now? Yeah, I uh, not, I mean, not specifically virus related. It's not that they have the virus, but many of my um, 
So I, I combine my body work a lot with my end of life work. So that's, mm. that's where most of my relationships will come from is someone in the family is like, well, you know, mom would love some, some touch. And so that's how I engage um, and, and make my, my living is through massage. Mm. Um, and it will organically, I'm there till the end and support the family in different ways. Um, but everybody that's in a care facility, um, I had to stop seeing in the beginning of March. Um, and that's, that's been really interesting and, and extremely difficult. So I've still, I've still um, talk with the family members and, and they'll send me pictures from their Skype sessions and mm. I'll send them pictures from my garden. And, and, you know, so we communicate that way. Um, I, Oh, I'm going to cry. Um, no, my, um, a really, really great friend of mine, um, called me a couple of months ago and said, Oh, I need you. And I was like, Oh, what hurts? And he's like, no, your other, your other thing. And I was like, Oh, Oh, okay. Um, he's had, he had cancer for a couple of years and he said, I'm well past my expiration date and, mm. and it's catching up with me. Um, so, so for, the, for two months, we've been working on some end of life plans and, um, and he died on um, Saturday morning. Mm, um, I'm so sorry. It, yeah, it's, um, he, he was an amazing man with this spectacular, mischievous smile and these twinkling blue eyes. Um, but he had, he wanted to be at home. Um, he wanted to have a home wake and we planned like three or four different versions of what the fuck might happen um, due to everything that was going on. Right. He was, you know, up until about two weeks ago, he was really aware of everything that was going on. And, right. um, but being that family and friends can't come, that was something his family was not prepared to handle on their own. Um, Heartbreaking thinking, you know, like it's, there's a big difference between having a house full of people coming through and honoring and talking and eating and drinking and, and listening to music and, and, and doing all of those things, as opposed to your love just here with you and silence. Um, so, so the plans shifted. Um, and it, I mean, had, it was definitely something he would have supported because he would not have said, I don't care how it makes you feel love. I'm going to be right. at home. Like that's not his thing. Um, so his plan shifted. And um, I actually, on this beautifully sunny day in Seattle today, I get to drive up to um, Belling Ferndale, Washington, and, and he's going to be buried um, mm. up there. So we get to do that today. Um, his, his, I love how you say we get to do that today. My thought is that was he by himself when he died? Do you know? No, he was not. He had okay. his, his brother and his wife and his son. Okay. Cause that, that's my, I'm, there's many things, uh, worrying me during this pandemic. And one of them is people having to die by themselves or give birth by themselves or, so, you know, these things, it just, it eats at me and it just pains me. Um, physically almost. Um, so I'm so glad that you're able to go do that for him. So honored. So honored. It, it also, um, it's so odd to talk about these things. You know, I was raised in a culture that you don't mm -hmm. talk about death. And in fact, the Italian culture, many people, when older family members would die, mm -hmm. 
their siblings would not be told mm. because the Italians were worried that it was bad luck yeah. and that, and, or it would be bad for the health of the other sibling. And so, you know, th- my grandmother died and d- people didn't tell me for six months, yeah. you know, things like that. And it was, um, so now, you know, having this whole new mentality and learning to talk about it, it's so out of my comfort zone, yeah. but so important. Um, I think what you do is incredible. It's, it's a gift. It's, it's, um, I feel really fortunate to be able to, to get to do all of these things. Um, it's, it's also sort of an interesting time to recognize like and honor the fact that no matter how many people are around someone who's dying, like they're still dying alone. They are the only one who's dying. Um, so that process still, even when surrounded by people is really still uniquely theirs. Um, it's, it looks totally different when you have support from family and friends, but I just, I really still like to honor the fact that even when supported, that process is still that person's. Yeah. They're the only one going through it. Yeah. It's very singular. I, that's a, such a great point. Um, I, I want to touch on before I get to my lightning round questions, when this whole thing happened right before we were given the stay in place quarantine, you became this miraculous warrior that put together this free breakfast Mm -hmm. and meal situation for the kids and people in your neighborhood. Do you want to tell people about that a little bit? Because you blew my mind. I was like struggling on my own end with my own things. And then I watched this warrior, like you just like, you just, you're amazing. It was amazing. I was so impressed by you. Um. I'm from Detroit. When when something needs to be done, we kind of just do it, right? Um, and with schools closing, my neighborhood is is South Park, Washington, and um, we have a huge heart and not a lot of cash. Um, and so when schools close, that that's where so many people get their food. Um, and food scarcity is like. It, it, it grates on me. Um, I, I don't, I can't, I can't handle it. Um, and so I knew that, I knew Seattle Public Schools was gonna figure out how to provide some lunches, either Seattle Schools or Parks and Rec. Um, and I knew that people would want breakfast and I was super capable of making oatmeal and eggs and I had a tent and some tables. So I would just offer community breakfast in my driveway, it's pretty big. Um, and I sent a little image to my friend who um, runs the coffee shop down the street. And I said, hey, will you post this up so people know that there's breakfast available? And she's like, oh, come do it at the shop. And I was like, girlfriend, that is beyond my logistical capabilities. I am trying to cook some food in my driveway. And she's like, no, come do it at the shop. It'll be better and easier for people to access. And I was like, fuck, you're right. Mm. So I did. Um, and it wound up being... So first of all, people were like, how can I donate and how can I support? So it it raised money. Um, it's continuing. Like we're kind of steady at like two donations a week at this point. Um, so we raised money for breakfast and we cooked a hot breakfast for two weeks um, at the coffee shop until I started to feel a little bit uncomfortable with the idea of 
telling people to come out of their house for this meal each day. Yeah, it was yeah. geared towards kids and families. Um, and most of the folks accessing it um, were definitely our, our unsheltered neighbors. So I was like, how do I, how do I get food to everybody and keep everybody safe? Um, so we really quickly mobilized to, um, there were six other neighbors in the, in South Park that I reached out to. Um, I broke the neighborhood up into like quadrants. And so everybody has a, like a tent and a table in their yard with shelf stable food, um, snacks, canned food, tortillas, beans, rice, toys, games, all kinds of things for people to go and get, um, freely and, um, you know, toilet paper, uh, menstrual products, like all of all of the things that you might find yourself needing and not have money for. Not all of the things that was really funny. Right. Well, but no, but it's, yeah. It's, it's a essential. variety of things. Right. Um, but knowing that we would eventually be in a shelter in place situation, um, having, a, having somewhere for people just to go quick and, and get some food um, has been important. And we've, we've done three, three really large orders. Um, and we have one order coming this week um, and we have enough money for one more. Um, we've created a, a text line for people. So they, so it works with, it works with a regular phone, um, or a smartphone that when you sign up, um, when there's few food distribution locations, we send out a mass text and you'll know, oh, okay, someone's, you know, there might be a pop-up food truck that's making plates for people and that's at this corner. So it keeps, you know, not just students and parents in the loop, but also our houseless community um, who have uh, who have a like a regular flip phone and no Internet, but can get texts. Right. 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 I love that. I want at the end of this um, after the lightning round questions, I want you to give us information on how people can donate to that and, and participate, because I think even right now, you know, I think things while people feel settled in their routines now, and I think this is when um, very similar to what happens when someone dies and the grieving process is over and people stop sending food and stop. Um, everyone's getting comfortable now ish, you know, as comfortable as we can, we forget that this is when the, uh, the houseless community, the people that don't have their safe injection sites, the people that don't have all of this are actually now coming out and suffering. Um, so I love, I thank you for being an example for the rest of us and showing us what community looks like, because I think right now, a lot of us are struggling with what to do. So um, Mm -hmm. I want to give people those resources at the end, but let's um, do a few questions that I like um, to say that are my James Lipton uh, in the actor's studio, because I, these are questions that were asked to me once um, a few of them and they, one of them made me cry and I realized I want this answer from everyone. Um, But my first one is my favorite because I want to know what your favorite swear word is. Cause I love is it fuck? Yeah. Easy. That's the common answer. Yeah. Do you have like a, a, a version of fuck that you like more like a. No, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's for good times and bad times. And <laughs> I mean, it, it just really depends on how it, how it rolls off my tongue. Right. I don't ever, I don't ever use it at someone. I may think it at someone. Um, but I mean, I shouldn't say ever. I mean, it's it's a rare moment that I would say fuck you to someone and really mean it like that and not in jest. 
I mean, I get it though. (laughs) I mean, there's times when I'm like, oh, I want to say it, but then I'm like, there's something so much, this person needs something different. They don't need that. They need, they need different. You're just more thoughtful than me. Um, (laughs) So is there some, a book right now, some music that you're going to, even a TV show or movies, something that you're going to for that um, comfort self-care? I really like cello music. Oh, I love cello music. Something about strings. Yeah. I just, I, I just got a new bow. Um, I have a cello and I have not played it. Oh no, I played, I played saxophone. And so I bought a cello about 10 years ago and I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to do it. Um, so I got a new bow. I'm going to practice. Um, but I really like cello music and I, I can cook, I can clean, I can paint, I can, I can do anything to that. And it, it helps me. I love that. I'm going to start listening to cello music. I forgot about, I love strings. They make me emotional. Mm-hmm. It's something about the arts and listening to it, whether it's opera or ballet or whatever. Yeah. Um, okay. So I want you to name three or uh, as many as you can, three up to three influential people that have inspired your life that are not white, heterosexual, cis men, because they have enough attention. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> My... My mother, Mm. um, she grew me in like, in the best way she knew how with all of the, all of the tools she had. And then she grew the tools that she didn't have. Um, Mm. and I'm so appreciative of her. Um, yeah, she, it was a, it was a, yeah, it was a shitty situation that she had been, had been given for a little bit. And I, really can say that like my childhood was charmed. Um, we chased mm-hmm. rainbows and, and it was real. Like looking back, I'm like, okay, yeah, we did that shit. Wow. Um, so my mother is my number one. Um, my, my, my best friend who I call my sister, her mother, um, mm-hmm. she, she taught me what it's like um, to be welcomed in to family that is not blood and you you don't there's there's not a beat skipped. Um, I I am a blended person. My father is black, my mom is white. And so being part of community has not been something that I grew with. Um, it was very much, I don't really fit here. I'm not, I'm not right for here. Um, and Mishy was like, get over here, baby. Mm. Um, and so that, that really, um, it, it taught me so much, um, about, about me and like, oh, I'm, I am okay. (laughs) I'm okay. You're Um, more than okay, but yeah. And third, Wow. Sorry for the pause. And I know that I got this before. Um, There doesn't have to be a third if you don't have one. I just, I know I have one, but I, I could, I I think I could really have some fun conversations and, and meandering conversations with Nina Simone. I would really, yes, I would really, I'd love to listen. 
I could listen to her talk for hours. Yeah. I love that answer. Yeah. Very real. Yeah. I love that. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot. I love that there are two mothers in your answers. That's awesome. You're very, you're very maternal in many ways. So it makes a lot of sense. Um, so the last question is the one that made me cry. That was asked once to me is if you could have lunch with your younger self, what would you tell them? And more importantly, what would you eat? <laughs> and I asked that part because I was raised in a way that we had certain foods we weren't allowed to eat. Okay. And so I would definitely go back just because it was control. It wasn't anything dietary. Yeah. Um, and I would go back and let myself have those things. <laughs> I would tell myself that um, it's not it's not me, and to be unapologetically me. Mm. Um, I love that advice. Yeah, I the I I briefly said you know like about not fitting into community, but I didn't understand. That it was that it was based on ethnicity when it was happening. Um, I really, I was like, "What? Why can't I go in their house?" Like, well, I didn't get it, um, and I thought it was me, and so I sort of for, like framed a lot of that throughout my growing up. Like, what am I doing? Right. Um, so yeah. So I would tell myself it wasn't me, and go be that big girl. You you do the things. Who gives a fuck what they think? If you fuck up, you fuck up. Just don't hurt no one. If you fuck up, you fuck up. Just don't hurt anybody. That's so real. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for being here. My food. I forgot my food. Oh, tell me your food, please. Um, I would eat like really spicy, crunchy fried chicken, mashed potatoes, (laughs) green beans, and like a really vinegary, lemony green salad. Oh, now I'm so hungry. I like. I want it all on one bite right now. Okay, now I know what I want to try to find. Fats, <laughs> fats, chicken and waffles. That's what I want. Yeah. <laughs> plug them. Um, I love that. Thank you. I'm. I'm so happy that we were able to do this. Yeah, me too. Um, please let people know where they can find you online and how they can help in any way. Um, the nonprofit is called A Sacred Passing. So, a sacredpassing.org. Um. And um, on Instagram, I am the Good Witch of Cascadia. Um, and you will you can find on there different ways to donate to the food tables. Um, Perfect. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for everything you're doing in the community. And I'm sending you energy because I know that you are one of our frontline workers and um, sending you energy for the lovely service you get to do later today. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this conversation as part of our Face to Faces series. We hope you'll join and support the Faces of Fortitude community on Instagram at Faces of Fortitude, on Facebook at Faces of Fortitude Portraits, and on Twitter as myself, Mary Angela Abeo. If you'd like to become a face in the project or join me in conversation on the podcast, or maybe you have an idea for a topic we should explore or a person we should interview, please contact us at booking at facesoffortitude.com. And until next time, please have extra patience and kindness for yourself and others.